What is up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast, Season 3, Episode who knows? Uh, my name is Robert Donaldson, um, and I'm alongside Thad Nelson, as always, my co-counterpart. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at RobDFB, and for Thad, you can follow him at TNels20. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday. Um, this is the Thursday following the uh, the Michigan loss on Saturday. Um, it, we'll get into it a little bit um, as far as, you know, just how things played out, but you know, I watched it in Vegas, so at least I can escape and have a little bit of fun after being heartbroken in the 9 a.m. start time out there. It, yeah, I, I didn't realize that was a thing, and I was like, oh wait, that's how time zones work, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's brutal. Dad, how was your? It, it was. I totally forgot. I had alarm set for 10:30 to wake up and watch it at 11, and then I realized, wait a second. <laughs> um. But I did it, and I was disappointed. And um, Thad, how was your overall viewing experience of Michigan Iowa this past Saturday? Uh, actually, my viewing experience was pretty nice. I, I, you know, kind of sat around and just watched and and had a few things in front of me and and tried to just clear everything out. But I mean, we'll talk about the game. There was so much about it that I think went the way so many of us expected. Just didn't expect Michigan to yield much to this Iowa offense but I I mean I was sending text messages and slack messages at halftime saying I I think I I don't want to say turn the corner but I started to see some of the things on offense that I was hoping to see to start the season and I can see now I actually see the goal and I don't know if I see an identity yet but I, I do see a little cohesive concepts starting to form and I thought really that's what I walked away from that game thinking I was not expecting Iowa to win um, I made some uh, some bets accordingly and uh, and I, I mean I just wasn't expecting Iowa to to be able to handle what Michigan brought but I walked away kind of pleasantly surprised maybe yeah and, and I would say I would, I would agree with you 100% on just saying that you know, the offense looked a lot better um, than I think it did all season long. Um, and for It was like flashes, though. It wasn't like consistent offense. You know, they would move the ball and then get stopped somewhere along the road. You know, whether they had to go for it in the red zone or they got they slowed down at the 45 or the 50 or midfield. Um, you know, I was talking to a buddy out in Las Vegas, and I was just saying, wow, you know, I mean, all things considered, the passing game looked confident. You know, there were strikes downfield that were well-placed and just the way um, Spencer was moving around the pocket and stepping into throws, even as much as he was getting, you know, pressured on the entire game. I thought there was a lot of bright spots that we hadn't seen from him all season long, even when he was statistically doing well um, in the past couple weeks or so. Right. Um, I thought this was his best game of the season by far. I thought he made a lot of throws that if he can continue to make those throws and build on it and the play calling around it can get better and the O-line can get better. Those are the type of, this is the type of offensive performance that wins you games against pretty good teams. Um, that said, they only scored 14 points. Um, so it's like one of those things where, and, and one of them was a garbage time touchdown at the end of the game. Um, and that was my buddy's point. He's just like, well, you know, we're talking about how good the offense looked, but <laughs> it's such a low bar, isn't it? It's such I mean, a low it's bar. Such a low bar. <laughs> so that's what it comes down to. Right. It's just like yeah. we're looking for the flashes at this point. 
we talked about if Iowa's offense can score 14 points in this game, we have a chance to win. Well, they they did in a cheap little way um, where they had to go for it on fourth downs at the end of the game. They were just pushing the ball down the field at the end of the game. Um, you know, you had a lot of softer coverage at the end of the game that just allowed for these gaping big post patterns to spit fit right in the middle of the field to even get down for that last touchdown. Um, and ultimately it just felt like every single time there was a glimmer of hope for Iowa to get back in the game. Michigan was just one, two, three first down, you know, they didn't, they didn't go three and out. They just, they kept having the ball in their possession. That's what we talked about last week, right? Where we said, listen, if JJ McCarthy is a game manager and not a reckless playmaker, that's going to help them. If Blake Corum can get five yards a chunk, um, and maybe just not exert all these yardage on one big play or one big drive, that's going to help them. And it felt like the entire game, offensive line for uh, Michigan and the running game got a push. They moved forward. JJ McCarthy ma- barely made any mistakes. He was very like almost an unnoticeable in this game with his scrambling ability, big time throws, his recklessness as far as turnovers go. That was all just like it non-existent. They might as well put a whoever back there, and they would have won this game. Um, but yeah, that's what I, it sort of came down to, and that was my takeaway. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where he, he, when it's Iowa's defense plays well every single time out, you know what I mean? But um, you kind of take for granted when they are going so crazy and forcing turnovers when they don't win that turnover margin. It's pretty evident. Yeah. I mean, all the things that we talked about last week, uh, as you said, McCarthy really only made one reckless throw and it was a touchdown. You know, he got away, he scrambled, he threw late semi across his body. Uh, Cooper DeGene, I didn't realize live on replay, like he almost tipped that ball and got it out of there. Like it was so close to being deflected and who knows what happens then. Uh, He, he missed one deep shot and that was really their only deep opportunity they took. You know, they did hit uh, a cover two soft spot once. I know, and maybe got a few crossers, but he was just super accurate in the short stuff, managed it, and Michigan's offensive line did a great job. And I don't want to ride on Iowa's defensive line, or I saw some things like, oh, Jack Campbell didn't play well. Like, I thought Jack Campbell played fine. Um, he was getting getting caught at the second level and still made a lot of plays. And if you want to talk about the one play at the end where they're trying to get a stop in the backfield, and they know if they don't, the game's over, and he you know, is kind of late to the hole because they're trying to take all the angles and he floats out to try to get it. Cora makes a good move and scores. But you look up to that point, uh, Coram didn't break any big runs outside of that, but it was death by a thousand cuts. He was really good at picking up four to five yards. Part of that's him. Part of that's the O-line. Uh, McCarthy was really accurate on the intermediate passes made the plays, his one reckless play worked in his advantage, got him a touchdown. And and that's that. Like if Michigan's gonna play that way, Iowa's not gonna beat him. And that's fine. Like, do I want Iowa to win that game? Yeah, but this year's version of Iowa against this year's version of Mich- Michigan, if Iowa isn't getting some turnovers, um, they're gonna lose that game. But when I look at things globally, there were enough bright spots to say, ah like, I see some things. To me, on offense, the big thing um, is, as you said, Petrus managed the pocket fairly well. And it wasn't really until the end of the game that he got lit up and that the lot really struggled. 
Um, prior to that, Iowa's play-action game was really successful. He had some time. And first pass of the game, you know, sidesteps, steps up in the pocket, hits a, hits a play. And the other bright spot is, for the first time, I could envision, like, I see where they can have some receivers, and I see where, you know, right now, Regani, Bruce, and Brody Brecht fit in. And I was really excited about Brecht coming out of high school, but then when I saw saw tweets from the baseball team about him hitting 100-plus on the radar gun, I kind of gave up hope that he'd play football. And I see, I, I'm reminded why I was excited about him out of high school. Uh, big body, ran good routes, um, can use that frame, and it's somebody they're missing. Now, I'm not expecting him to be a 7-8 reception a game guy, but if he can get two or three and be a threat in a, in a good run blocker out there, like I saw the pieces for the first time and said, okay, like I can see how this team can still get to, you know, seven, maybe probably not eight, but like I can see the pieces and it's starting to fit together a little bit. Absolutely agree. I mean, all year long, people have been saying, you know, um, I was offense as far as weapons go. There's not a lot there, but Listen, um, getting Nico Regani back in the fold, um, Keegan Johnson uh, eventually is going to be, you know, back to his tip-top shape, hopefully. Um, and then you have Arlen Bruce, Brody Brecht, uh, Luke Lachey, Sam Laporta, Caleb Johnson. Um, you have a, a guy in Monty Potabom who you can bring in for and at least be a capable receiver. You know, he's not at least just a numpty out there leading the way on, on lead blocks anymore. He, he's actually – a guy who can leak out and catch the ball at least. And he's, he's, he's an H back now. Like I, I think we have to stop. I mean, he does play fullback, but the way they put him at tight end now, I think we just have to consider him now as, as an H back or an extended tight end. And even though he is in the backfield. So I think some of that's changed when I'm looking at formation stuff, like they've really molded him into more of a tight end now. And really that traditional in the NFL, what we see is the H back for the teams like, you know, the Niners and the Ravens and some of those offenses. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, if, if people are still going to key in on him as being like, oh, um, this is a run play or a run tipper like they were last year, um, that's going to get him burnt. And it has a few times for teams this year. If, even if the play itself didn't work out to be super productive, the play was there to be productive. It might have just been missed. Um, and I think that's ultimately what this comes down to. There's a lot of weapons up there. Um, Petrus, it looked a lot more confident, like we just talked about. Um, and you know, everybody would label him as a game manager. I, I think that's just a product of being kind of Iowa's quarterback. You're always going to be labeled a game manager, most likely, unless you have like a Bethard gene in you. Um, but other than that, at the beginning of the season, you have to understand, like that wasn't game managing. That was just shitty play, right? It, that's not going three and outs and um, not getting the sticks after three completions. Um, or maybe getting one first down. It's not that's not game managing. Game managing is being able to use the pieces around you, move the ball, control the ball, and not make mistakes. Listen, Spencer's not making a lot of mistakes, but this offensive line is letting him down big time. There's a clear, obvious, you know, elephant in the room when you look at the offense. It's not the skill position players. It's not running backs. It's not quarterback anymore. I don't think. Um, you know, he doesn't make the mistakes anyway, and he's at least a guy that, if it looks like this week, he can at least make throws. Um, playing quarterback, ultimately, um, if you simplify it down to the, the nuts and bones in college, you can get away with just being average and, and still looking good behind, you know, an offensive line. Um, but you have to have the offensive line. And it's been so bad that 
you know, at the end of the game, obviously, you know, that's when the, all those sacks came in with, I believe, Mike Morris uh, from Michigan. Like, geez, number 90, dude. That guy is scary. Um, but the reason why those sacks started coming is because Michigan could finally start saying, listen, we don't have to respect the run. Let them run the ball. If they get 20 yards on a run and stay in bounds, well, we doubt they're going to get to the second level anyway. But most likely, they'll just keep running down the clock. Um, at this point, the only way Iowa's going to be able to win or score points is going to pass the ball. So they pin their ears back, got for the quarterback, and the pass <laughs> pass blocking on the offensive line was absolutely exposed. But we already knew about it. But that was just such an egregious point of a comeback from behind spot that Iowa hasn't been in all season long. I mean, there hasn't been a single situation in any game where it's like Iowa needs to throw the ball here um, for like extended drives or extended plays. We saw that. We saw what it looks like when they, the offensive line is forced into that little that shoe. Yeah, it's it's a tough spot, and I've gone back through it. It's interesting. What I have going back to around 2008, it's the youngest offensive line when you talk about experience in terms of years on campus. So right now you have a, a redshirt sophomore at left tackle, but he has a ton of reps. Uh, you know, I, I would Richmond in in. The last three games, he's looked like we expected him. He seems to be healthy now from his from his injury. But you've got questions at all the other four spots. And right now you have a, a walk-on redshirt junior playing left guard. But I really think Ellsbury, who's a even younger, a redshirt, a sophomore, um, he's probably going to take that. But you have a, a redshirt sophomore and new to the position at center, a redshirt freshman at uh, guard, and a true sophomore at tackle. So they're, they're just so young. I mean, they've got several second and third year players playing on that line. And the best Iowa offensive lines, you might have some second or third year players, but they're sprinkled in. They're your elite guys. You know, there's it's the uh, Tristan Wirfs, the Brian Bulagas. I mean, going back, the, the Sethels, there's guys like that. And even like Alaric Jackson, as a redshirt freshman played a bunch and that was but that was because of injuries that was because that year they had to get the young guys in because the expected tackles um i think it was bedker and boone myers were injured so that was an injury issue forcing the young guys and and they're just so young and you look you can blame the coaches for that you can say they didn't develop the older guys you can say they recruited poorly perfectly fine but it's pretty obvious when you have an offensive line of sophomore a walk-on junior sophomore freshman sophomore you're going to struggle and if i were scouting a team and looking at a team and i saw that across their front line i would immediately say probably not going to be great on the o-line what would you say because i've heard this floated around now um it's becoming almost like a buzz kind of topic of conversation um and i've heard it from just like social media in person people at a bar bringing it up or whatever but um we're starting to see these you know juniors um, redshirt sophomores um, now that are that didn't go through the strength and conditioning program when Doyle was there, <laughs> and this the hot topic conversation right now is, well, we're finally seeing what Doyle brought to the the football team in terms of development all these years, and this is the new wave of what's being produced um, at I, offensive I, line. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a couple things to look at it. I mean, Wraithbath he was writing a lot of the workouts anyway. You know, even when Doyle was there, he was the the next guy doing a lot of this, a lot of those workouts and things and and putting things into place. Um, and, and they're young players. Like, 
and they're they're huge. It's not a physical thing right now. I feel like for so many, and you look at those guys; they're big, strong guys. I mean, Jennings Dunker just won the the hay bale toss, and we you know we <laughs> talked that hey, he's going to be really good because of it. Like, okay, we want to hold off a little bit, but they've had <laughs> they've had tons of injury. I mean, your left tackle came back from injury; he's looking good. He's looking like the player you expected. The guy that's starting at right guard, uh, like for DeYoung or for left guard, I should say. Played at tackle all of last year as a former walk-on. They've moved him inside. Your starting center up until bull prep was on defense last year. I, I think he'll be fine. The guy starting at right at right guard is a redshirt freshman who missed almost all of last year because of injury. The guy who's backing him up and rotating with him, exact same situation. Redshirt freshman missed almost all of last year with injury. And then at right tackle, you've got a true sophomore who played guard up until about two weeks before the season started. Finally, all the injuries on the outside added up, and they're like, look, we got to kick you out. I mean, it's it's obvious what it is. Um, I'm not. It's not a strength issue. You watch it. It's not an issue where they're not strong enough. It's an issue where they don't know what's going on yet. Uh, there's miscommunication issues. There's timing issues. There's mental mistake issues. Look, that happens, and and go watch, go watch some of Tristan Wirfs when he was a freshman. Like, there's some uh ohs on that film, and he's as <laughs> a good lot of, of a player. Yeah, and he's a great player. You know, Brendan Sheriff, watch his early years at guard. Like, there's there's uh ohs there, and that's part of it. And it's exasperated by you have a quarterback that doesn't move well. You're trying to do some new things on offense. The receiving core was absolutely decimated during camp and summer. Yep, transfers, injuries, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It's it's really obvious to look at. It. Like if you just sit back and like start chalking things up, it's clear. And you can blame the coaches because ultimately it's their responsibility. But it's not like it's this mystery, and it's but it's also not a mystery of like oh I. I think it can get better. Now, they're, they're not going to get to the middle of the Big Ten in offense by the end of the year. But they can score enough to win games outside of Ohio State. They can score enough to win the remaining games. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, it's such a – I had to bring it up because I've now heard it for three straight weeks. Or pretty much ever since Iowa's offensive line started playing poorly this week or this year. It's just been brought up at nauseum. And you got to understand, when was the last time I was offensive line experienced this level of turnover, right? Where you're literally just almost starting like at a clean slate. I mean, the guy you're returning at, um, at well, two of the guys you're returning, one of them's playing at a different position um, that he hadn't played at all last year. Um, Richmond has been kind of in and out of lineups throughout the past two years. Um, I think he's a good mover, but he's one of those dudes that I just don't know how good he is yet because we just haven't really seen him for a full slate. Um, and what has been killing Iowa so far this year is blitzes, stunts, things where you need to have like a feel out there. You can't just be so focused on my assignment because on those plays, your assignment changes, you have to communicate and you got to be able to transition. And it feels like it's a lot of mental blocks. It's a lot of overthinking out there. And the only time they actually look somewhat decent is when they can just do like outside zone where it's literally just exchanges. You know, outside zone is the same from middle school to high school to the college. It doesn't matter about what the specific play calls. It doesn't even matter what the defense is doing. You know, you 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 know what your exchange is going to be. Sometimes a guy might disrupt those sorts of things, but 
you can tell like these guys when you they are out and moving in and do their exchanges in space there is some athleticism there there definitely is um and these guys definitely have potential i don't know if this is the lineup that is going to lead us into in future years i think there's going to be a lot of renditions of it but yeah i i this the reason why and you brought it up several times the reason why these guys are not playing well it's it's obvious these guys are all new to their positions they're they're new as a unit i mean we're we're spoiled as iowa fans just having all these great offensive lines and guys three guys coming back from last year's group and then shoehorn it you know two guys are filling in at spots and even the, the past years with those two guys that would fill in at the for the the two guys that left had playing experience typically so you know, it's one and of those things. T- yeah, they're just young. Well, yeah, and and on top of that, I think one thing I was really stressed with their offensive line is versatility, getting guys. But the problem is when you're young, you're not entrenched anymore. Like versatility at that point can be bad because nobody's getting a feel. Like they're not learning and meshing yet. And what's the one thing when you're an Iowa offensive lineman? What do you do day one? You start practicing outside zone. So it makes sense that that's the play that's seeming to look the best a lot of time is that's the thing those guys have actually repped the most. But Iowa, and I think it's a good thing, has done a lot more. um, They've been more creative with their block schemes. It's not all inside zone. It's not all outside zone. We're seeing we're seeing split zone. We're seeing different wham blocks. We're seeing some movement. We're seeing saw a little bit of like power looks, you know, guys pulling, guys coming around. You're seeing different looks to try to create some seams. So. So you just put all these things together and it's obvious why it's happening and it can piss you off. Like, I don't like it, but but it makes perfect sense. And the last thing is with this is it's Io's probably youngest, but as a whole, it's a very well thought of from like a recruiting ranking standpoint. You know, Richmond was a, a well thought of offense defensive player. You've got Colby and Stevens were four star recruits and well thought of. Jones was again a defensive recruit, but well thought of in his own high school head coach always thought he would end up on on the offensive line or thought maybe that was the best spot for him. So you've got Ellsbury was a, a, a high rated three star. So you've got guys that are really well regarded coming out of high school that are bigger than what Iowa had been recruiting in the past. And I think I think the pieces that are there and you know obviously I think everybody just kind of circles right tackle as a holding spot for Proctor next year. Um, you know, just hold, okay, somebody's got to fill in there for the rest of the year. Is it going to be, are you going to keep Colby there? Are they going to put Plum in there and try to figure it out, at least for the year? Um, the offensive line has some struggles. I think I saw improvement, but it's still when they get in those situations where they have to go one on one in pass block, it's just going to be really hard for them. Yeah. And, you know, before we move on from Michigan and kind of transition to Illinois, I'd be remiss to say or make a not just make a comment about uh, the red zone play calling we saw when it was twenty to seven, and they're inside the ten yard line. What have we been saying for fucking three years? Spencer cannot throw on the run. This guy's been slinging it all the way down the field, like dropping dimes. I mean, there was a seam route to Lachey. There was throws up the middle to Laporta and Nico Regani. I mean, Spencer was slinging in that in that little that last fourth quarter. And what do you do on two of your play calls near the inside the ten? 
you roll him out with this weird right kind of boot and with your with ro- like the rolling offensive line too on quick outs short of the sticks both times well and you they actually ran some rub routes which we were hoping for yeah but here's what happened they ran one for Regani, made sense worked pretty well and then they tried to come back twice to laporta on it and it's like first of all you know in the red zone michigan is king on laporta but why are you having a small like reverse that why you have a small receiver trying to set that pick and your biggest yeah your best target but he's not probably gonna win that like agility contest on that route like it worked for Regani because it, it made sense that's a route that he runs well it doesn't make sense for laporta but I am still really mad. Uh, I am mad because on Laporta's one catch, they messed him out of a yard or two, and the spot was horrible. Yep, that was also something that I um that was caught with a screenshot. I think it was a your screenshot that I saw the first. Yeah, uh, it's good two yards off. It's insane. Um, but it goes. And we've been talking about this with Brian specific play calling as well. Even when he was as at his best, like maybe a few years ago, when it felt like the offense actually had a, somewhat of an identity in the passing game, and there was some creativity to it, red zone play calling has always just been awful. I, that's where you're supposed to make your money. That's where you're scoring points. That's where like guys like Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury, um, anybody, uh, you know Shanahan, those are guys that they know exactly what they can bring to the table. Um, and if, if a play, you only pick up three yards and it turns into second and seven from um, second and goal from the seven, they know exactly what to run on the right side hash. It feels like Brian just kind of throwing things out there and saying, well, I mean, I, this isn't our ideal play, but let's just see if we can make it work. You can't coach like that. You can't call plays like that when you're, you're so tight to the red zone and you don't have the ability to take another first down, pick another first down. And you need points. You got to be able to score and cap off drives, um, and that's just been a failure from 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 Brian um, since he stepped in the OC spot for Iowa. Um, yeah, and, and Iowa's limited in some of their options down there, so that's when you have to have your best stuff. And in the first rub route, you know, I thought there was some sex, success there, and then to go back to that twice in those situations, both times to Laporta, it's just tough. Like I'd rather try to get Laporta on you know maybe a some sort of pivot or like a look like a stop route and then move you see the chiefs use that with travis kelsey all the time he kind of sits that looks like a stop route and then boom he's inside (laughs) outside break and that's the type of thing in that in that scenario that could work because petrus can just then stick the ball right on his hip you know there's no lead there you just okay stop route make that quick move you throw to that spot and that's something that would work for him at least make more sense than a rub route in that scenario. Yeah. Um, Brian is definitely not Andy Reed. Um, <laughs> he, and it's not like it's, it's a hard thing to be innovative and creative and really put some thought into red zone play calling. I don't know if we'll ever see it at Brian. Yep. So, I mean, I feel like that's probably where we should just call Michigan. I mean, it, as far as a big game goes, it felt almost rather uneventful. Um, we didn't really learn a whole lot, whole lot as far as new things, except for the fact that, you know, the, I think the offense started to build some confidence, um, which is definitely a plus. Um, and I, I think when you move through the schedule, you're going to find a lot easier opponents than, than Michigan as far as defenses go. So, um, 
maybe it's a sign of things to come. Knowing Iowa, probably not. Um, <laughs> anyways, we're on the Illini. I'm, I'm doing the Bill Belichick. We're on the Illinois. So um, here we go. This is a much improved Illinois team. Um, actually, one of my favorite teams to uh, watch, bet on, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Chad Bar- uh, Thad made the, uh, the money sign. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a team that offensively is finally put together a little bit. You know, they're not incapable anymore, and defensively they're not just like a, a, a turnstile. Um, they actually have some some gamers on this defense. They have a guy at quarterback now who can facilitate the passes. He might not be, you know, um, a future day two or day one draft pick, but he's a guy that's, as far as college football is concerned, is very, very capable of delivering passes, getting the balls to the right playmakers, not making a whole lot of mistakes, or just not making a lot of um, – you know, dangerous throws or putting this position, um, this team in a position to turn the ball over. Um, what are your thoughts when you uh, first look at Illinois? You know, what's their stand outside? Um, and just give your overall thoughts and just when you're watching Illinois, what do you think? Well, I think you nailed it right away. This is a very much improved Illinois team. You know, it's not going back to where Iowa handled them last year, even despite really struggling with any sort of pass game. And what, a year or two before when it was 50, 60 to whatever, zero, when I would just pummel them. Um, it's a much, much improved team. And really on both sides, I, I know on offense, Chase Brown is getting so much of the notice because I think he's leading um, college football and rushing and and rightfully so. They're really good on, on the offensive line right now, which is, you know, they lost their best offensive lineman to the NFL. And to, to play well on the offensive line is a, is a credit to them. And you said DeVito, is he's managing it for them. 70% passing, making some plays with his feet when they need it. Uh, but, but I want to talk about the defense because outside of that first game where they gave up, or second game when they gave up 23 points losing to Indiana, I mean, it's 6, it's 3, it's 0, it's 10. They're forcing turnovers. They are ultra-aggressive at what they do at the point of attack. Ultra aggressive at the point of attack. And and they have a definite identity of we're going to try to really disrupt the line of scrimmage and we might give up a play, uh, but we've got some athletes and we think that our disruption can counter that and force some turnovers. And that's where they just hammered Wisconsin last week was Mertz making poor decisions, turnovers. And that's the part that when I've watched them, I've been impressed because they've utilized some of the athletes that they have on defense and just turned them loose and say, just go make plays. You, you might not be in the right spot all the time, but go make a play. And they're doing that. Yeah. You, you brought up hyper aggressive and that's a, that's the perfect description for this defense. You know, we kind of talked about it last year when we were um, focusing on Indiana to start the year where a team that likes to blitz heavy, um, the difference with way Illinois blitzes is they really, really trust, even when they don't blitz, man coverage and, and robber coverage and just kind of going for it. You know, they, they like you said, they have some athletes out there now uh, from transfers that are coming in, just guys that they've built up to the program. Their recruiting has, um, I think, been a little bit better under Bielema. I think, like, uh, his first year when he was there, they picked up some pretty good players, and now they're starting to show their faces. Um but these are guys that have, you know, they're not crazy long. They're not, um, 
super ball skill crazy, but they can force turnovers. They play a lot of man coverage. They try to bait you into a lot of throws. And college QBs, man, they, they're they not the most precise bunch. Um, there are a lot of put, uh, put them on a guys. And when you're playing man coverage and you have a guy sticking around along with side, um, you know, a receiver and you're testing the quarterback's ability to put it 25 yards down the field. Um, that's where Illinois is just betting on them. You know, they're betting on themselves in those situations, which it, it makes it interesting leading up against Spencer Petrus because we just saw, um, Spencer Petrus in, in the fourth quarter, late third quarter, really start to lay some passes in a tight coverage and uh, really almost start to abuse just like pockets. But what happens when, you know, receivers are getting jammed to the line? How do receivers re- uh, respond to that? How does Petrus respond to that? If the offensive line came and hold the front four, they're not going to hold six coming down your throat. So um, how do you think this defense kind of ma- matches up uh, with Iowa? How do you see like Iowa moving the ball? Where do you see like the weaknesses attacking Illinois' defense come from? I'm um, just giving you your general just kind of uh, analysis on that point. You know, I think I think it's going to be a lot of boomer bust, and <laughs> with Iowa, it's been a lot of bust yes. over the last while. Yeah. And I, we talked about the struggles with the offensive line handling communication, and Illinois is going to come from everywhere. They're going to really try to fill every gap. I, I think it's a game though especially somebody like Caleb Johnson, you might see him go for two, one, negative one, 11, one, 42. Uh, I think you're going to see that. And he's the guy I think that's going to be really important for Iowa because he's shown the ability. If he can hit that first crease and get a line, he can make a play and he can outrun guys and they can, you know, supplement him. And LaShawn's going to have to get a ton of, really physical two to three yard carries and try to loosen them up and, and do that. Uh, same with the pass game. You look at their, their corners. I mean, I think they've got seven or eight total interceptions on the year, but if you look at their corners, uh, their secondary has a combined, I'm just kind of mental math here, but 22 pass broken up, but they've also got eight defensive passing penalties. So it's a group that's going to commit, uh, pass interference they're going to do some defensive holding uh but they're also going to break some passes up because they're going to be one-on-one and they're going to be grabbing a hip and trying to throw the arm out and if the you know if the back judge is going to let them grab the back hip or get really physical at the point of attack they're going to try to do it so it's just a super boom or bust group in the secondary um both out wide and, and at corner and then then they've got uh, Kendall Smith at safety, and and he's got almost half of their interceptions because he's roaming around and and as you said, doing some robber stuff, doing some deep stuff. It's a, a chance for Iowa to keep using their two tight end sets, uh, the the four verts look that Iowa finally went back to that we love so much, and it's a pass that Spencer can make both to Lachey and Laporta. That that can be effective. Because if they're bringing pressure, safety, single high safety is going to have to choose a side. Um, maybe they can hit hit a crosser or two. And Arlen Bruce is a guy that can can make a big play for him. So I, I think it's going to be a lot of boom or bust. We're going to see you know, maybe a three and out, maybe a three and touchdown situation. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, th- I think you nailed it. I think there's going to be drives where you have to pick up chunks, like maybe two pass interference calls, um, a 20 yard pass in the air 
and then maybe you end up with a field goal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, um, but seriously, at the same time, discipline just out of defense, penalize, um, penalties-wise, and also just maybe getting caught up in a blitz and, and letting a, like an angle route out of the backfield or a delayed slip out by a tight end down the seam. Those are the play calls, I think, when you kind of look at Iowa's offense, what they've done that's successful, what they've done that's consistently successful against teams that like to blitz over the years. It's always been something like that, whether it's like a slip out, angle route out of the backfield. Um, they like to do um, a play call where they you know, keep the tight end in line, act like a pass blocker, um, actually commit him to pass blocking early on, and then slip him out down the seam um, later on in the game once you catch him in a blitz. Um, luckily, there's a lot of veteran leadership and a lot of experience at tight end spot for Iowa. So you can have those guys make the judgment call. If they see a linebacker lean and hopefully they have enough confidence to say, you know, I, look at me or like a, like a something call out where they can just gauge a, like an impromptu play call based on, you know, a leaning linebacker. Because you watch Illinois, dudes are falling over their feet. <laughs> Listen, they're aggressive, but you can tell. Like they're, you can tell almost they, they really don't disguise a whole lot well until the play is actually started. And most of it comes on the back end anyway. So just by looking at the front um, linebacker and, and defensive line, you kind of have an idea or a gauge what kind of play call they're, they're gearing up for. It's a game where Iowa can use formations and shifts to 100% and know exactly what Illinois is going to do. Like my prediction, I, I think Iowa, here's why I, I expect Iowa to do possession number one. I think they're going to be in uh, 12 personnel. Or, or maybe 21, they're going to do something with, with personnel where they, they have either a couple tight ends or a fullback, but they're going to go shotgun and make it look five wide. And then motion, you know, will whoever it is at running back, then back into the backfield and see, okay, what's Illinois thinking on these early downs? And give it away. Okay, who follows the running back? Okay, now we know what it is. We know the coverage. We know the rotation. I think if I'm Brian Ferentz and I'm getting ready for this game, uh, it's going to look like those traditional Wisconsin teams where you're just motioning like crazy um, pre, pre-snap pre to let Spencer Petrus know everything he can and let this offensive line know everything they can about what's coming. And Illinois will still try to disguise a little, but like you said, they're going to let you know kind of what's happening. And by using those formations and using those motions, I think you can give away enough to let let somebody like Petrus, who's been around forever, who knows football, let him make that read so that it's snap, eyes on something, quick play, and and make a decision and, and let his mind guide this offense. And I think that's something Iowa can do, but but I expect him to be shotgun. It's going to look like five wide, receipt, running back's going to motion, and they're going to try to force Illinois to give away what they're doing ahead of time to provide a little bit of assistance for this offensive line. Absolutely. I, I think you nailed it. I, um, I think that's a way of like key to Iowa's win on Saturday. Um, when you look at just kind of Illinois makeup, um, how do you think the I um, Illinois offense lines up against Illinois D or Iowa's defense? Because I think this is a game where Justin would have had a, had a really fun time. Uh, and it's just, it sucks when, especially this past weekend, it was noticeable. Um, you know, there were some plays where I was like, if Justin was in there, that, that might be a play made right there or a stop made. But 
especially this <laughs> this game where they're they're trying to get outside on you. Um, a lot of their their routes are literally just kind of like over routes or spot routes. They're trying to find zones. Um, that this is a game where a guy like Justin, where it's a big body, athletic body who can play a number of different roles and specialize in a number of different things, really comes in handy. Um, yeah, um, what are your thoughts on just I guess how Illinois is going to try to move the ball and uh, how Iowa's defense is actually going to play up against that? Well. The number one concern for Iowa is just not letting Brown chew up four, five, six yards of carry like Corum was able to do last week. Yeah. Um, we talked about it, and it was so true. If, if they can make him try to bounce a couple and contain, that's going to be so important. One thing I'm really interested to see is it sounds like Terry Roberts is practicing this week. Do they go back to him at corner and moving DeGene back to Cash? Or do they keep him out at corner and they keep Castro? Because so, Castro's been so physical. I think he's done a lot of good things. But I think the way Illinois plays their receivers and what they do, I think Roberts matches up really well with that because he's elite short space quickness. He's probably Iowa's best short space guy. Um, maybe, in, maybe in 100 yards, he's Moss and DeGene might get him. Uh, he's pretty fast. We see that as a gunner. But short space, he's really good. And I think against these Illinois receivers, I think that short space quickness might be more important. And then DeGene can be a little more of a rover, can help out in coverages. He is a little bit better than Castro in coverage. But also I think his angles are a little bit better and can help collapse, uh, contain in, in whatever the wide side of the field is. He can help collapse that. So I'm interested to see what Iowa does or if they rotate, like they kind of had had been doing it first. So I, I if it were me, I would try to get Roberts out there because I think his short space quickness is really important when guarding these Illinois receivers. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, Jake, this would be such a good game for Jacobs because I think he could supplement Benson in some of these looks. Yeah. And Yeah, exactly. And naturally to me, the biggest asset. And, and Benson's been okay, but every team, what they're going to do is their top three third down plays are all how do we isolate Benson in pass coverage? Campbell second. Like, how do we get those two guys in pass coverage? And they're linebackers, so yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But they're also, you know, not necessarily the the length and quickness that Jacobs had, which is such a bummer because he he fit with what this defense wanted to do so, so much. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And such a heartbreaker, too. Um such a quality player would have been awesome against Michigan to have. Um, and obviously we just want him to have a speedy recovery. Um, we still obviously think he's going to be a special football player at, and the NFL potentially someday and that let alone college for Iowa. Um, but yeah, and kind of going back to a point you made as far as what you do with Cooper to Gene, where you guys, where you slot these guys with Terry Roberts comes back in the fold. I think if there's any way to make Cooper to Gene as positionless as possible, you're increasing the impact on the game. I mean, we, we know from watching guys in college football all across the sport um, that go into NFL draft and are top first-round picks. Um, Isaiah Simmons, Shaq Thompson, Miles Jack. You know, some of these amazing defensive players. What do you guys say, well, Thad? I, I'm, why am I blanking on <laughs> the guy from Michigan a few years ago that, that did play a little peppers. Yeah, played a little offense, was everywhere, safety, corner, linebacker. Yeah, yeah to- like totally that package. 
Absolutely. They're the same player. I think, Ju- oh my God, I just found the comp. Uh, Julius Peppers, Cooper DeGene. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Um, and we've even seen it now in the NFL with, with Micah Parsons doing what he's doing. I mean, at Penn State, he was a linebacker as what he's labeled as, but he really played like that nickel corner deep safety. And now in the NFL, he's a, he's a fucking D end. <laughs> and he's rushing to get like 10 sacks a year. I mean, I think Cooper DeGene is one of those special players that Iowa there's not a there's not a comparable player to him over the past few years. You have great players in Iowa's defense, obviously. You have a lot of great defensive backs that can slide to a number of different roles. But I think if you make Cooper DeGene as positionless as possible, you're looking at a guy who can break the game open week after week for Iowa as long as he's in that black and gold. And and you can put him in different spots and really disguise what you what you're doing. And and you know you when you mentioned Jabril Peppers from Michigan, that's exactly what they did. It's like safety, linebacker, DN, blitz specialist. Like you you really force the offense to not know exactly what you're doing. And if if you can do that with DeGene, I mean, I agree. I think that's the best spot for this defense. Uh, they just have so much so much depth right now in that secondary um that they i think they can be creative and and i would like to even see him on third down get into some some nickel dime packages where he's almost a floating linebacker uh would be would be to me really interesting i know that's not what iowa does and and it's fun to imagine it but to do it you have to practice it and practice it a fair amount to be good at it so they probably won't but but the possibilities Man, I just think that can take what's already a really good defense and crank it up and maybe get one turnover that they might not have gotten. And that's going to be the difference in so many Iowa games. Yeah, I think this is one of those teams on defense where, you know, eight years from now, when you're looking back at, like, we're the best units and, you know, you're seeing, oh, well, that wasn't really tied to a great season, that defense. But if you go on pro football reference (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> you're seeing like nine guys and maybe even 10 or 11 guys who are on the depth, like the two deeps and the three deeps that end up playing in the NFL. Um, and then you're like, Oh, well even, even Justin Jacobs who made it to the NFL is, is hurt that year. And you start saying like, wow, that, that defense was just loaded with talent. They were the kind of different classes. They were scattered a bit, but this feels like one of those Iowa teams on defense that just is going to emerge into something special. I just don't know if they'll do it as a, you know, like a, a group and being like the one of the best defenses in college football history. But on paper, eight years from now, I think you look at it and you're like, wow, that was one of the most talented locker rooms for a defense that you can find anywhere in college football history. We, we <laughs> talked about it a little bit last year. We kind of looked at the two deep and we're like, man, I see a lot of guys that, that could play at the next level. And we're seeing so many of those guys take another step forward this year. And, and it's like, what, you know, the what could be from this group and you don't I, it's not like a group where like oh first rounder first rounder it's not it's not Georgia's defense last year it's not some of the Alabama defense <laughs> yeah. like let's be Alabama all, defenses. you know we're not it's not Hyper Bowl season and we're gonna blow everybody up but but you see a lot of quality players um yeah, yeah. and I, I thought Michigan's mm-hmm. offensive coordinator in last week's pressers pregame was was right with that he's like look it's a good defense and it's not obviously Phil Parker does a good job but it's not just because of the scheme. They have really good players, and it's a group that has good college football players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're at the time of the podcast. You know, we've talked about Michigan. We've talked about the Illinois game. Let's make a prediction on this Illinois game. Um, I brought it up 
earlier on here. So current level line that we're looking at, um, spread set at plus three and a half or minus three and a half for Illinois. Uh, so I was not favored. Um, <laughs> this is a laugher. Uh, over under set at 36 and a half. <laughs> and uh, the, the money line is plus 145 for Iowa. And that's just on DraftKings. I mean, it might be juicier elsewhere, right? Ah, dang. It's just tough looking at that and being like, oh, man, I'm not going to bet on Iowa this weekend. <laughs> yeah, you look at those and um, you start to get excited. And then then you stop. I stop and remind myself. I'm like, okay, uh, the offense played as well as they played all, all season last year. They scored 14 points. And seven <laughs> of them were garbage. Uh, they gave up six yards of carry to a really good running back and a good offensive mm-hmm. line. They're facing another really good running back and a really good offensive line. Uh, the opposing defense creates a ton of turnovers. They blitz a lot. What does Iowa do struggle to do right now? Offensive line struggles to handle blitzes. Quarterback struggles with pressure, sometimes getting flustered mentally before the play gets there. So it's like, oh, I want to be really excited. And then I start breaking it down. I'm like, why get excited? But turn around. I am so in on Iowa this game. Ride the lightning. I'm like ride the lightning. I am so in on Iowa this game. I I don't know what it, I haven't been this like confident feeling, which is confident. Oh so wrong. Gosh. Like I, I'm never confident if Iowa is like an underdog or even only supposed to win by a little. Like I'm usually like total hedging my bets. Coach that like ah, they do. This could cause a problem. I'm I feel so good about. Some of the things I saw from Iowa and what I think they can do. My my worry and hedge <laughs> on this is like it's a night game, but then I'm like, but it's champagne at night. Like if you can go anywhere at yeah. nighttime, like give me the game in Illinois at night. Like that's that's the best that's probably the best place that Iowa could go for a night game and have it be still twenty five percent Iowa fans. Even when I was struggling a bit and Illinois is coming off their biggest win in like a long time, um, I, I just feel really confident about Iowa. And, and maybe I shouldn't because when I lay it out, like the rational part of me says the things that Illinois does on defense kill Iowa and this Iowa offense struggles. But part of me is like, maybe they turn a little bit of a corner. I, I, I do feel like I've... I've been wrong on a lot with Spencer Petras. I thought he was going to be really, really good. Like he hasn't been, um, I was way wrong, but I still think he can do enough for this team to win given the defense and special teams. Uh, but it's going to come over to turnovers. I think Iowa wins. Um, I have Iowa. I have it like a goofy score, 22 to 16. Like, I think it's a goofy score. Um, but, but turnovers are going to be the big thing, but that's, I'm rocking Iowa. 2216. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, they're not going to lose to Illinois, are they? Like, no, they're not. They are absolutely not. The battle of the eye logos is, is going down. And all I got to say, okay, team total for Iowa, 16 and a half. Slam it. They are scoring, <laughs> they're scoring 20 points in this game. Easily 20 points. The over of 36, we're going over. We're going over in the, on that. It's going to be a 20 to 17 ball game. I was actually going to put up 
300 yards plus of total offense. You heard it here first. That's crazy. <laughs> It's like we're talking about 1960s football. Yeah, They're going like, to get 300 uh, yards. We saw forward pass. Yeah. I think uh, there was a passer in college football this past week that threw for 600. So um, <laughs> to give you a little scope on that, I'm talking about the entire Iowa offense and, and four quarters of play, 300 yards <laughs> plus a total offense, maybe, if they don't count sacks. Because um, <laughs> that's going to bite into our yards a little bit. But I'm telling you. If there was a Spencer Petras prop out there for passing yards over 160, I would slam that. Um, <laughs> but team total over 16 and a half, that's the lock of the week right there, folks. I'm telling you, I, I, some way, one way or another, whether Iowa loses 17 to 20, wins seven, uh, 17 to 28, you know, they're going to hit that over, I guarantee you. I like it. I like it. I like the confidence. I like the disregard for any inhibitions about why uh, the team is going to score that much going against a defense that uh, has given up like two or three touchdowns all season. But, but why not? I mean, why not? I'm an Iowa fan. Why not us? You're an Iowa fan. Uh, this is the time and it's a late game. So, <laughs> so prepare yourself, you know, uh, that's all I'm going to say and, and enjoy that part of it. Why not us? Why not us? That's all I got to say. And I think that's where we wrap up this pod. It's been a pleasure, um, you know, getting on the mic, all these these games, all these weeks with Thad. Um, genuinely love talking to him. We have a great time doing this. Um, no video this week. Um, we had a video last week if you didn't check it out. Um, probably just don't check it out. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I, I was very bullish on some turnovers out of Mr. J.J. McCarthy there. And it just didn't happen massive bummer yeah he was he was very bland in that one um but other than that um moving forward we're gonna try to do some more videos at least i'm gonna try to do some more videos as far as just taking clips from our episodes um putting them to actual game film to show you what exactly we're talking about with visual elements to it um did pretty well last week as far as that goes there was a good reception to it um and yeah you guys just again you guys have just been killing it with viewership um the past three seasons we've really enjoyed it i mean we see all the, uh, the all the views from all the streaming platforms, and it's just nice seeing how many people weekly tune into the show. So um, thank you guys for coming and checking it out once again. Uh, we'll be back at an unspecified date um, in the future, and hopefully we're talking about Iowa wins. Um, but, yeah, other than that, guys, um, you can follow me at RobDFB on Twitter. You can follow that at TNLs20 on Twitter. Um, other than that, we will see you all in a future podcast. Take it easy.